Okay, let's turn the Bibles this morning to Genesis 25. <coughs> Genesis chapter 25, and uh, let's just read from verse 19. Genesis 25, verse 19, it says, And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Pandanaram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. Let's open with a word of prayer. The Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather around your word this morning. We pray that as we consider the passage before us, that you would help us to come with hearts that are ready to receive your word this morning. We pray that you would speak to us, that you would teach us through your word, bless us, refresh us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would empower me now through the Spirit, that, Lord, it would be your words this morning, it would be your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would take your word and apply it as you see fit this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last Sunday evening, uh, we basically concluded the record of Abraham's life. It came to a close there at the start of uh, chapter 25. Those first 18 verses was the, the last mention, really, of Abraham's life. And so right now, here in verse 19, we, we begin a whole new uh, section in the book of Genesis. We're now looking at the generations of Isaac. Uh, that's... Uh, the new section, there's a new, new division, if you like. And so the record here turns to Isaac and it turns to his sons after him. And, you know, compared to the other uh, characters in the book of Genesis, Isaac's life is really passed over uh, relatively quickly. Not a lot is said about Isaac. Now, he lives longer than both his father Abraham and his son Jacob but more is said about both of them than is said about Isaac here. Now, this, his whole life is passed over in six chapters, and in those six chapters, he's often not the main character. He's often not the, the focus of the chapter. You know, the same is true in the book of Hebrews, where his life is summed up in one verse. In Hebrews 11, verse 20, it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And so he's given one verse in the book of Hebrews to describe his, his life, his faith. Commentator Wearsby writes this, Isaac was a quiet, meditative man who would rather pack up and leave than confront his enemies. During his long life, he didn't travel far from home. Abraham had made the long journey from Haran to Canaan and had even visited Egypt. And Jacob went to Haran to get a wife. But Isaac spent his entire adult life moving around the land of Canaan. You know, he doesn't live a very exciting life. He just wanders around Canaan, which is where the Lord wanted him to be. He does what God has called him to do. And not, not a lot is said about him. As I said, more attention is given to his sons, but that doesn't mean Isaac's not important. He's still important to the biblical story. He has a role to play in the divine plan of God. And in the section before us uh, this morning, we see something about Isaac's faith. And not only Isaac, but also his wife, Rebecca's faith, as they both seek the Lord in prayer and they accept God's sovereign will when it comes to the answer. 
And so notice, first of all, here this morning, we see Isaac's prayer. Isaac's prayer. Just read with me again, verse 19. It says, These are the generations of Isaac, <clears throat> Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of uh, Penetaram, the sister to Laban the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. In verse 20, we read that Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, and we looked extensively at that in chapter 24, okay, how Abraham sent his servant to go back home to find a wife for Isaac. And so he's 40 years old when he married Rebekah, and you know, we can be sure that when he got married, he was quite eager, uh, eager to see you know, his firstborn son, to have children. He was eager to see the day when they would have their first child. You know, he knew that he was the heir of promise. He was the, uh, the one through whom the seed would come. He knew too well the, the covenant promises that God had made with his father Abraham, promises that were now his to claim. They were his promises. In Genesis chapter 17, God had declared clearly that the covenant would be established with him. Let's just go there, Genesis 17. Genesis 17 verse 19 says and God said Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed and thou shalt call his name Isaac and I'll establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him as for Ishmael I have heard thee behold I have blessed him and make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he begat, and I'll make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish, establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And so God had made it very clear in chapter 17, made it very clear to Abraham that Isaac was the son of promise and that the, the covenant promises were passed to him. They belonged to him now. Now it was through him that God would make a great nation. You know, so like Abraham before him, Isaac would have been eager to see his firstborn son, to see his heir, and to see the, the promise begin to be fulfilled before his very eyes. But the years pass by, and we're told that Rebekah is barren. It says that at the start of verse 21, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. So the years start to creep by, and still there's no children. Rebekah's barren. She can't conceive. And immediately here we see a parallel with his father, Abraham, don't we? You know, Abraham had to wait uh, until he was 100 years old before Isaac was finally born. The, the son of promise finally came onto the scene. You know, God made Abraham wait. He was teaching him patience, teaching him to rely upon the Lord in faith. He was teaching him to understand the truth that God can do the impossible, teaching him that God is Sovereign. And now Isaac here faces a similar test. He's learning a similar lesson from the Lord. And in verse 21, we are told that Isaac makes the right response, doesn't he? He responds in the right way to this trial. You see, it says at the start of verse 21, and Isaac entreated the Lord. He entreated the Lord. He sought the Lord in prayer. Uh, here's this problem before him, this grave concern. He's wondering when he's going to have his first child, and he does the right thing. He responds in the, the right way. He takes this concern 
to the Lord. And in this, he followed his father's example, didn't he? You know, Abraham, as we, we saw extensively, he was a man of faith. He was a man of prayer. He sought the Lord and he waited upon the Lord. And Isaac here follows that example. He takes this problem to the Lord and asks the Lord to answer this concern. And you know, this is a prayer that Isaac could pray here with confidence. You know, as he prayed, he could pray with confidence that God would hear and God would answer this prayer in his timing. And the reason he could pray with such confidence is because he knew the promises of God. He knew the promises of God to him. God had said that his seed would be as the stars of, of heaven, okay? Because it was through him, he's the promised seed, and so through him, this must be fulfilled. And so when he prayed, he was praying, knowing God's will, knowing God's promises, and that gives him confidence, doesn't it? It gives him confidence when he's praying that God would keep his promises. God must be true to his word. Wiesby writes this, Isaac had every right to ask God for children because of the covenant promises the Lord had made to his father and mother, promises Isaac had heard repeated in the family circle and that he believed. If Rebecca remained barren, how would Abraham's seed multiply as the dust of the earth and the stars of the heavens? How could Abraham's seed become a blessing to the whole world? And that's the point. He, he knew the promises and he believed the promises and it's for this reason he now comes before the Lord and he entreats the Lord for his wife and he could do so with confidence, knowing God would answer because it's a prayer that's according to the will of God. Now, we've seen it before, but First John chapter 5 makes it clear that when we pray according to God's will, he hears us and he answers. Let's turn over there, First, First John chapter 5. <clears throat> in First John 5 verse 14, it says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now, 1 John 5 makes this point clear. When we pray according to his will, we know that he hears, we know that he will answer. And that's what we see here from Isaac. He prays for God to keep his promises. Now, that is a good practice to get into when we pray, isn't it? to pray the promises of God back under him, to pray his word back under him. Now, Lord, you said this. Now, Lord, perform it. Lord, do it. Lord, keep your word. Now, this is where our confidence lies when we pray, isn't it? Our confidence when we pray lies in his word, his promises to us. You know, David is a, a wonderful example of this, you know, right throughout his life. But in one passage in particular, let's just turn to Second Samuel Second Samuel chapter 7. Second <clears throat> Samuel chapter 7 and verse 25. It says, And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house, establish it forever, and do as thou hast, as thou hast said. And let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. Let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, hast revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee an house. 
Therefore hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. And now, O Lord God, thou art that God, and thy words be true, and that thou hast promised this good, a goodness unto thy servant. Therefore now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it, and with thy blessings let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. A wonderful passage. David prays God's words back unto him. In verse 25 there he says, he says, Lord, do as thou hast said. You said this, now perform it. Lord, do it. Lord, keep your word. He prayed God's promises back to him. He prayed with confidence, knowing God's promises, knowing God's word, and he prayed that God would keep his word. And that's what we see Isaac doing. He prays with confidence, knowing the promise of God, knowing the will of God, and he beseeches God to, f- to fulfill his word. Now, Wearsby again writes this. He says, It has been well said that the purpose of prayer is not to get our will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Even though every Jewish couple wanted children, Isaac wasn't praying selfishly. He was concerned about God's plan for fulfilling his covenant and blessing the whole world through the promised Messiah. True prayer means being concerned about God's will, not our own wants, and claiming God's promises in the word. That's true, isn't it? True prayer is that we want God's will to be done on earth. It's not about our wants. We want his will to be done. And that was Isaac's concern here. He wants God's will to be done. And so he prays this prayer according to God's promises, according to God's will. But notice that he still had to wait for God's timing, didn't he? Even though this is a prayer that's clearly according to the, to the will of God. God wants him to have children. He knows that. And even though it is God's will and it's according to God's promises, he still had to wait patiently for God's timing. You know, back in chapter 24, Genesis 24, <clears throat> we saw the servant. You remember Abraham's servant? He sent him on this long journey and the servant stopped at the well and he prayed a prayer unto the Lord. Let's just read his prayer. In Genesis 24, verse 12, this is the servant. He said, and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. Let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I'll give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that hast sorry, that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. And then verse 15. And it came to pass before he had done speaking. And behold, Rebekah came out, was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. In chapter 24, we see Abraham's servant offers a prayer according to God's will, according to God's promises. He's clear leading. He offers this prayer and this test, and God answers his prayer immediately. Before he's even finished praying, God's already answered, and, and Rebecca's there on the scene. You know, here, Isaac, he prays a prayer according to God's promises, according to God's will, and God makes Isaac wait 20 years. 20 years before he sees the answer to his prayer. Look in verse 26. <clears throat> <clears throat> Genesis 25, verse 26, says, And after that came his brother out, 
and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare him. He's 60 before Rebekah gives birth. He's 40 when they get married, 60 when finally their first child arrives. Well, their children together arrive on the scene. You see, this is just another example of how God hears, yes, and God answers, but God answers in his perfect timing, doesn't he? He answers in his perfect timing. You know, this is one of the main points that's been emphasized in the book of Genesis, isn't it? As we've been going through, in particular looking at the life of Abraham, this, this point has been emphasized that God's timing is always best. That God is sovereign. God is in control. You see, even though we want things to happen immediately, and we do, we pray and we want it to happen now, don't we? We, we don't have much patience at times. We want things to happen immediately. But the, the point is there's always a reason for God's delays. There's always a reason. Even if we can't see it, there is a reason for his delays. Psalm 31 and verse 15 tells us that our timing is in his hands. Our timing is in his hands. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. Likewise, Isaiah 55, uh, verses we know well. Let's just turn there. Isaiah 55 talks about how much higher God's ways and his thoughts are than ours. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 and verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now God's way of thinking is so much higher than our way of thinking. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And so the point is we can't, always understand God's thinking, can we? Most of the time. We don't understand God's thinking. We don't understand his reason for the delay. But the truth is we're not meant to understand. You see, if we were meant to understand, he would have revealed it to us. He would have revealed to us, this is the reason for the delay. But oftentimes we're not meant to know, and so we just have to simply trust him, don't we? We have to, in faith, accept that God knows best. There's a reason why I've prayed this, and it's according to his will, but it's not quite happening yet, and I don't know why, but I'm trusting him in faith. I'm going to rest in the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 7. Let's just quickly turn there. <clears throat> Wonderful verse. Psalm 37. Psalm 37 and verse 7. Just the start of the verse in particular, but let's read the whole verse. It says, Rest in the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in the way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. The start of the verse says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rest in the Lord. And that's certainly what Isaac had to do. He had to rest in the Lord, didn't he? For 20 years, he had to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for the Lord to answer his prayer. And in God's perfect timing, he did. He answered his prayer and Rebekah conceived. We see that there in verse 21. <clears throat> After these 20 years, finally, God answers his prayer. Back in Genesis 25, verse 21, it says, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. 
finally, in God's timing. In God's timing, Rebecca conceived. And that brings us to our second point now. We see Rebecca's prayer. We've seen Isaac's prayer and his faith and his acceptance of the sovereign will of God. And we see now Rebecca's prayer. Look in verse 22. <clears throat> it says, And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, finally, after 20 years of earnest prayer, <clears throat> Rebecca conceives. But it wasn't long before they faced now another problem. There's another concern before them. You see, Rebecca's pregnancy was a difficult one. In verse 22, it says the children struggled within her. They struggled within her. Now, Rebecca became aware that something's not quite right, something's not quite normal. She's experiencing more than just normal movements of the baby. She's experiencing something different, something that's not right. Morris writes this, A problem soon developed within the very womb that began a conflict between the two boys. Rebecca was feeling more than normal fetal movements. An actual struggle was taking place in her womb. And Rebecca seemed to realize that this was a portent of something significant. This is more than just you know, the movement of the babies. This is something different. Okay? There is a struggle taking place within. Clark likewise writes this, the, the children struggled together. They dashed against or bruised each other. This, there was violent agitation so that the mother was apprehensive both of her own and her children's safety. You see, the point is, this is not describing just normal kicking or normal movements. There was an actual struggle taking place in the womb. The, the verb that's used here speaks of excessive, violent, internal commotion. And that's what it's talking about. Okay? Excessive, violent commotion. And it's this abnormal, excessive, violent commotion that causes Rebecca to ask the question, if it be so, why am I thus? Just read there again, verse 22. So the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it be so, why am I thus? Basically, Rebecca, she can't understand what's happening, and nor can anyone else. She's talked to the midwives, she's talked to others, and there's, there's no reasoning. They, they can't understand what's taking place. You know, before this, the, the lack of children had been her concern and Isaac's concern. But now she's concerned about what's taking place in her womb. She's concerned for her children. She cannot understand why this is taking place. And so we see Rebecca here. What does she do? She turns to the Lord in prayer. The end of verse 22, it says, And she went to inquire of the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Once again, we see a godly response to a present trouble. A godly response. Rebecca goes to the Lord with her concern. She takes this, this care, these things that on her mind she's worried about, she takes it to the Lord. She follows the principle of Philippians 4. Just turn over there. We know these wonderful verses well too, but Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verse 6. It says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is the start of verse 6. Be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Instead of allowing these worries, these concerns to consume us, God's word says, take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to him. Allow the Lord to take care of it. No, take it to the one who actually knows the answer to that problem. There's no good us stressing and worrying about it, being concerned about it. We're not going to find out the answer on our own. You have to take it to the one who knows the answer. The one who knows all things. And we need to commit it to his loving care. Now, 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And that's exactly what Rebecca does here. This is a concern to her. It's weighing on her mind, this, this struggle within her womb, and she's concerned, she's worried. What does she do? She takes it to the Lord in prayer. She lays this care, this concern before him. And in verse 23, we see the Lord graciously answers her prayer. In verse 23, it says, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. God answers her prayer. Now we're not told how she receives this answer. Now whether the Lord sent a, a prophet to tell her, or maybe a dream or an angel. Maybe she actually had a, uh, uh, an experience where the Lord appeared, a theophany. The Lord appeared and spoke to her. We're simply not told, but in some way the Lord spoke directly to Rebecca, and he gave her a remarkable revelation of not only what was taking place in her womb, but also what of the future would be. She, she's given here a prophetic revelation by the Lord. You know, the Lord makes it clear that the reason for the struggle, the reason for the abnormal situation was because there was two nations in her womb. That's what it says there in verse 23. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. The Lord tells her, you're having twins. But more than that, these, these two children, these two sons, would grow up to be the fathers of two separate nations. And their struggle in the womb was an indication of the struggle that would exist between the two of them during their lives, but also the struggle that would exist between the nations that would descend from them. Morris writes this, The twins in her womb were of two utterly different and antagonistic temperaments. The nations which they would establish would inherit those tendencies. The struggle which had begun in the womb will continue throughout their lives and throughout the histories of their respective nations. This is a startling revelation, isn't it? The Lord says you're, you're going to have twins, but more than that, these two are going to grow up and they're going to produce two separate nations. It's a startling revelation. Two nations that would struggle against one another. But you see, the Lord doesn't stop there, does he? That, that's startling enough. But the Lord doesn't stop there. The Lord actually then proceeds to tell Rebekah who's going to prevail in this struggle. Read there again, verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. The Lord is very clear here. He says the elder shall serve the younger. The younger son would become the stronger son. 
become stronger than the older son and eventually he would prevail over his brother. You know, since one of these two sons must inherit the promises, must be the, the, the one through whom the seed comes, this statement also tells Rebecca which son that's going to be, doesn't it? This prophecy here tells her which son is chosen by God. God makes it very clear here that his covenant promises would belong to the younger son, not the elder son. Yeah, this, of course, meant that the younger son was going to receive the father's blessing, the father's inheritance, the, the birthright. It would belong to the younger son. This was God's will revealed to Rebecca here in this prophecy. You know, this, of course, goes against the normal thinking of men, doesn't it? I mean, generally, it's considered that the firstborn son <clears throat> should receive the inheritance. The firstborn son should receive the greater honor. But of course, God doesn't work according to our ways, does he? <clears throat> God doesn't work according to our thoughts. We saw earlier Isaiah 55. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God doesn't follow the, the, the thinking of men. And we see that here with God's choice. But you know, this is not the first or last time that we see God choose someone other than the oldest son, the firstborn, to receive the blessing, to receive the promises. You know, Seth, he wasn't the firstborn. Cain and Abel were before him, but Seth was the promised seed, the one through whom would come. Neither was Abraham the firstborn or Isaac the firstborn. David wasn't the firstborn. You see, God doesn't look through the eyes of men, does he? When he looks at someone, he's not looking through the eyes of men. That's not what God is looking at. God is looking at the heart of man. And it's that which determines his choice. We know that from 1 Samuel, don't we? <clears throat> Turn to the first Samuel 16. In first Samuel 16 and verse <clears throat> 7. Well, we'll start in verse 6. <clears throat> and of course, this is concerning David. First Samuel 16, verse 6, it says, And it came to pass, and they'll come, and he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. God looks at the heart. And you know, when we look at the, the life of Seth, we can see how that's true, why God chose him. When we look at Abraham, we can see why God chose him. When we look at Isaac, we can see why God chose him. When we look at David, we can see why God chose him. God chose these men because they were men of faith who loved and served him. But what about Jacob and Esau? God makes this choice before they're even born. You know, Romans, in chapter 9, Paul talks about it. <clears throat> Just go over there, Romans 9. Romans 9 and verse 10. It says, not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, for the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purposes of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, and it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. 
In Romans, Paul says God made this choice before they'd done good or evil. They hadn't done anything for this choice to be made. Before they were born, born, before they had a chance to do good or evil, God made this choice. And so the question then is why? Why does God choose Isaac over Jacob? No, sorry, why does God choose Jacob over Esau? Sorry. Why does God make this choice? Yeah, well, we could give the simple answer, couldn't we? We could say <coughs> God is sovereign and God can do as he pleases. And who are we to question the Lord? And that's certainly true, isn't it? But you know, our God is also fair and just. And you know, as we, we mentioned with Seth and Isaac and Abraham and David, there's a reason for his choice. And the reality is that, you know, we can trace this back to the omniscience of God. You see, he knows all things, and he knew that these two men, that's right, he knew that the two men that these babies would grow up to be, and God knew that the younger son, Jacob, would be spiritually minded. God knew that the, the character of these two men before they were even born. God knew that Jacob would be a man of faith and that he would cherish the covenant promises, the blessings. And therefore God loved him. God chose Jacob and he hated, rejected Esau. You know, this revelation that God gave to Rebekah here was truly remarkable. It's a remarkable revelation, a remarkable prophecy. A prophecy concerning her unborn children and it's one that would be fulfilled perfectly in the years ahead. And we'll see that as we go through Genesis. And there this evening we'll see that the character of these two sons revealed. We'll see clearly why God made this choice. You know, when Rebecca received this answer from the Lord, she didn't know why God made this choice, did she? Think about that. When Rebecca makes this prayer and the Lord gives her this answer, she had no idea what their characters were like. She hadn't met them yet. She had no idea why God was making this choice, but she had to accept it by faith, didn't she? She had to accept God's decision. She had to accept that God knew best. She had to accept it and believe God's answer to prayer. Accept that God is sovereign, that God is in control. That He has a plan, He has a purpose. Even when we can't see or understand it. You see, both Isaac and Rebecca faced this test, didn't they? These two godly parents both sought the Lord in prayer for present concerns before them, and they both had to accept God's sovereignty when it came to the answer. See, Isaac, he had to patiently wait for God's timing, accept that God's sovereign will, he's, God's timing is best. Rebecca, she had to believe and accept God's sovereign plan for her children, even though she didn't understand it. She had to accept that God knew best. You see, the point is, like Isaac and Rebekah, we must take our concerns, our problems to the Lord in prayer and lay them at his feet and trust that he's in control and trust that he knows best. But we also then need to accept the sovereignty of God when it comes to his answer, don't we? And this is where we often struggle. We come to the Lord in prayer, we bring something that's according to his will, we lay it before the Lord, but then we want him to answer in our way. We want him to answer how we think, in our timing, according to the method we think is best. But you see, we need to come before the Lord in prayer, lay it before Him and leave it there and accept His sovereignty when it comes to the answer. Both regarding the timing of that answer and also the content of that answer. You have to accept that God knows best. 
May we learn uh, the lesson this morning from Isaac and Rebecca. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for these two godly parents who both sought you for present concerns and, Lord, accepted your sovereignty when it came to the answer. Uh, Lord, may you help us to humbly bring our concerns, our, our worries before you, lay them at your feet, and, Lord, trust that you are indeed sovereign. You know best. Trust your timing. Trust the answer to that prayer, even when we can't understand it ourselves. Lord, may you bless as we close this morning. Bring us back safely this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.